Well, it's great to see each one of you today, and uh, today has been a significant improvement over last week. I don't know if you were here at all, but uh, the first service last week, and if you weren't here the first service, this is what wonderfully happened. Um, I was in charge of closing the service, and so you listen to the worship team, you have an idea when they're going to close it up, and the the song started kind of ending, and we were running a little bit late last week, so I was kind of getting anxious to get up front and close it up and get you guys on your way, and and so uh, I walked up, and, and normally when we walk up to close the service, I don't, you guys, there's a lot that goes on to a service that hopefully you don't notice, because uh, hopefully it goes well, but as I was walking up, typically we make eye contact with one of the worship team members, and they kind of give you the, like, yep, now's the time. So I got up here, and I got to this top step, and I looked up, and nobody was looking at me. And then Brenda Heinen looked at me and gave me this look. <laughs> and I realized... there's another chorus. So I came up and just worshiped with the team right here. And uh, it's kind of, you know, I'm large and so people noticed. So I thought, do I just go sit down and go, excuse me, (laughs) or would that be more distracting? So I just worshiped up here. Somebody came up after and said, boy, that was really neat how you came up and helped lead worship. (laughs) So I was actually surviving actually up there. Uh, And then the second service, some of you were here, and and many of you, I know many of you saw it because many of you talked to me after the service. Uh, As I came up, I kind of cut it short on the first step because I didn't want to come up early. So I waited and I caught the first step just with my toes. And so my toes were like, whoa, and I I almost face planted on the platform. So I thought, while you pray, I'm coming up. So in case any of that happens, you won't see it. And I thought we were all good until somebody came up after the first service and said, oh, I thought that was so funny you brought that up. I was watching online, and I thought, did he just trip? (laughs) So that's good to know that it was nice and out and online, and it was caught on the cameras. So today is much better. And today I'm really excited because a few weeks ago, Pastor Seth was going over his sermon series and uh, who was going to preach when. And so he said, hey, Kent, would you be willing to preach on July 11th on the topic being for each other? I said, I would absolutely love to talk about that topic. Uh, I love the idea. I'm, I'm all in. So it's such a privilege to be here because as we know, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So if you are in Christ, if you've chosen to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are now called three verses later to be his ambassadors or his representatives. So we who are following Christ are supposed to represent Jesus to each other in here and also to those people out in the world. That's a pretty significant deal. And we're not only supposed to just represent him, but we're supposed to know his word and do what his word tells us to do. So the question might be asked, uh, why don't we do what God's word tells us to do all the time? Why don't we? Well, I think sometimes we get distracted, and we get distracted by things around us. For instance, maybe other people, other beliefs, other opinions, etc. And we also get distracted by things in us, selfishness, our own sin, our own personal preferences, those types of things. So we get distracted. So before we go any further, I want us to do a little exercise together, and uh, it's going to be math, and so I'm sorry for those of you that don't like math, but do your best. If you've seen this illustration before, play along, let the people next to you enjoy it to its fullest, and so uh, don't ruin it for them. But here's just a simple math process. We're going to put a bunch of numbers on the screen. We're going to add them up one at a time as they come up on the screen, and we will say the sum out loud. Okay? So we're going to say it together out loud. So we're starting with 1,000, so let's do it together. 1,000. Very good. Okay, now we're going to go through a whole series of them, 
and we'll add them together, and then we'll probably do it again just to make sure we got it correct. Okay, here we go. 1,020, 2,020, 2,050, 3,050, 3,090, 4,090, 5,000. Okay, let's go do it one more time. Just make sure we got it correct as we kind of go through this morning. Here we go. 1,000, 1,020, 2,020, 2,050, 3,050, 3,090, 4,090, 5,000. Okay, so now many of you, how many got 5,000? Simple, simple process. Good job. Yep, 5,000. Great. How many of you, I did this one time at a camp, and uh, two counselors spoke up at the end. They go, it's not 5,000. And I thought, okay, somebody's going to give the, the answer here in just a moment. And I said, okay, what is it? And they go, it's 6,000. <laughs> I go, how did, how did you get that? You carry the one. <laughs> Your cabin's in for a good week. <clears throat> so how many of you know what a 4,090 plus 10 is? 4,100. Okay, so some of you, the, the correct answer is 4,100. I won't have you show hands to find out how many had it. I know some of you did because I felt your, your disdain. It's like, it's 4,100. What's he doing? Uh, but here's the deal. Most people don't get that correct. You fly through it, and by the way, it doesn't matter where the 10s and 20, 30, 40, 50s are lined up. Somebody said, oh, you put it in the middle so it screwed us up. <laughs> it doesn't matter. If it's over on the other side, the same result. Typically, about 95% of people who go through that get to 5,000. Now, why is that 4,090 plus 10? How does it get to be 5,000? It gets there because we set you up in a sequence of things that happened around the truth. So we got the 1,000, 1,020, 2,020, 2,050, 3,050, 3,000. It was just three, four. And so automatically your mind just goes, well, obviously we go to five. You see, you get distracted by things going around, and now the truth gets compromised. And in this world, when we're for each other, we cannot get distracted by what's going on around us. We need to think Biblically, often we expect from others, and what we expect from others, we don't reach that, and so our experience is different. We expect things from people, but our experience is different. We get distracted by this difference zone. And these gaps between what we expect and what we experience are very noticeable. For instance, let's say somebody, you said you'd be there at 3 o'clock, but you arrive at 3.15. You said you would call, but you didn't call. You said you would never bring it up again, but there you are bringing it up again. I thought you should do it differently, but you didn't do how I thought you should do it. Or I wouldn't have done it that way, but you did. There's a gap between what we expect and what we experience. And that gap is something that we need to fill. In fact, when there's a gap between what we expect and what we experience, we choose what we place in that gap. We choose, and there's two fillers of that gap. Those two fillers are either trust or suspicion. Trust or suspicion. We choose to fill the gap with trust or suspicion. So those illustrations we gave earlier, someone arrives 15 minutes late to a meeting, you have the opportunity to put in your mind, they are irresponsible, they're pathetic, it's terrible. Or, hmm, I bet there was a reason. I wonder what it was. Someone didn't call. You may arrive at the decision, they really don't care. I can't believe it. Or something important must have come up. 
someone brought up something that you didn't want to ever brought up again because they said they wouldn't. And you might say, well, they're holding it over me. It's so unfair. Or you might look and say, wow, I must have blown trust again. Someone did it differently than you expected it to be done. You might arrive at, ah, they're not listening. They don't listen anyway. Or, hmm, they must have a reason. You see, we fill that gap between our expectation and our experience with either trust or suspicion. I'm reminded of a story, and uh, this isn't true, but it just illustrates a point, uh, where there was a movie that went on. The lights came up after the movie was done, and there was a guy laying in the middle aisle, so people couldn't get by. So the first person came out and said, hey, buddy, buddy, kind of kicked him. You got to move because people are going to get by. Come on. There was no response. And so the person said, hey, look, if you don't move and get out of the way, I'm going to have to go get the usher. No response. They go get the usher. The usher comes down and says, hey, buddy, what are you doing? You got to move. People got to get by. No response. The usher goes, hey, if if you don't move, I'm going to get my manager. No response. Manager comes, hey, buddy, you got to move so people can get by. Come on, what are you doing? And there's no response. Nothing happens. And the manager goes, look, if you don't move so that people can get by, I'm going to have to call the police. No response. The police come. Hey, buddy, come on, buddy, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? You got, you got to move because people got to get by. There's no response. And finally, the officer gets down and kind of shakes him and goes, hey, where are you from? To which the person rolls over slowly the balcony. You see, people, <laughs> people act the way they do for a reason. <laughs> they act the way they do for a reason. And we can jump to any kind of conclusion we want, but until we find out the truth, we're not going to respond to the truth. We're going to respond to just our own fabricated story. So we need to fill this gap with trust. What if we started trusting others like we want to be trusted? What if we were truly for each other in this Christian community and at this church? Can you imagine how much fun that would be? Because we'd walk and go, I know I can share anything with you because you're for me. And I want you to know you can share anything with me because I am for you. I will support you. So how do we get to the point of being for each other? Well, obviously, we follow an acrostic. Before, (laughs) Before each other. And by for each other, I mean we need to be aware of the filters that we put things through. Filter awareness. And then we need to overcome those selfish preferences and then respond biblically. So filter awareness to start out with. Uh, Some of these thoughts also, by the way, are coming from Andy Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta, uh, who had a great three-part message on some of this stuff and really enjoyed and was challenged by him this week. But there's two sources of filters in our filter awareness, and they are who we are and what we have experienced. We will typically put through all all of our things that we experience in a day, we'll put through our filter of who we are and what we have experienced. So first of all, who we are. Who we are is stuff that we really can't change. Maybe we've just been, we're suspicious by nature. Maybe it's from an upbringing or whatever. Maybe it's a birth order issue. Maybe it's the color of your skin. Maybe it's your age. Maybe it's your gender. But we're going to put things through that filter of who we are. And when there's a gap between what you expect and what you experience, you'll automatically default to suspicion. I was on a missions trip to Chicago a number of years ago. And uh, I was out, we're doing some street witnessing things. And we had two kids. I had two kids from another youth group that were with me. We broke up and did all this stuff. And... Uh, there was, we would we'd just pick somebody and say, okay, you need to go talk to them. And these kids would go, okay, so they go talk to them. Well, um, I decided it was time to just show them what you really trust God with situations. And so 
me being a middle-class white guy from Fargo, uh, there was this group of skaters that were going all over down by the beach area where we were at. And, uh, you know, and, and my immediate judgment was, oh, my goodness, these kids scare me. They just did. They scared me. I'm 6'5", 400 pounds, but they still, they scared me. And I was like, whew. Uh, you know, so, but I said, no, I'm going to show these kids that God is bigger than that. And so I went up and, uh, and, and I said, hey, there's clearly a leader of the group. So I went up and I go, hey, excuse me. He came over, he pulled up his board, and he came right up to my face and said, what? And I'm like, um, I'd like to talk to you guys a little bit about the Bible. So I wasn't really sure, like, what's going to happen? And I was, I was, all the other kids, they had now come to this half circle. There's probably about 20 of them. And they formed this half circle around me and these two scared kids. And, uh, and I said, I just want to talk to you about the Bible. I really, that's what I'm here to do. And the one guy, I didn't know what they were going to do. So I had all these stereotype things that I was already thinking, oh, man, this is, this is going to be good. And this leader looks at me and goes, do you mean, like, the book that Bible Bob talks to us about? I have no idea who Bible Bob is, but we did talk to you about the Bible. He looks at me kind of like, are you dense? That's why we call him Bible Bob. I went, oh yeah, that part. I said, well, I guess it is. Yeah, man, we'll listen. And he turns to the rest of the group. They all sit down. I'm like, okay. Uh, so the Bible um, is good. You know, so anyway, we talked about the Bible with them quite a bit. And it was awesome. But you see, I put the experience through my filter of being this white middle-class American kid from Fargo and trying to be this big leader for these two younger kids. And I, I did stereotypes. I didn't expect them to be open to the gospel. That day, a number of them prayed to receive Jesus Christ and they walked away encouraged, smiling, high-fiving me as they left. A scenario I would have never expected. But you see, I put the experience through my filter of who I am and it really robbed me of some great joy by just walking up to them right away. It was awesome to see their response to the gospel. So we put it through who we are. We also put it through what we have experienced. For instance, if we see someone spend late five times in a row for a meeting, we kind of expect the number six, oh, what a surprise, you're late again. It's the experience that kind of dictates, yes, I expected that behavior. I, uh, and so we're cautious about everybody in different situations. So I'm the youngest of five kids. I have two older brothers, two older sisters, and uh, my two older brothers, um, are, are not nice, let's just be honest. We, uh, we were growing up and, and uh, we would have like a piece of pie and then they have some Cool Whip on the top. And I love Cool Whip. And so we'd do all, and, and, and then one of them, either Bob or Greg, either one, they look so nice and innocent when you talk with them. Uh, but he, he would hold up the pie and they'd go, wow. And me, even the youngest, was like, what, what's going on? That th- stuff smells like mustard. Like, it does? So I pick up my pie, and I go, to which one of them, Bob or Greg, bam, would hit the bottom of my hand, and now my face is filled with Cool Whip. And they would just kind (laughs) of, I'm bigger than them now. (laughs) But because of that experience, I wouldn't trust them. If they ever said something smells like, I'd go, not a chance. If it does, that's your problem, because I'm not going to smell it. But it's because of that experience that I don't trust them. The same thing is true with you and me, with all experiences in our life. It's because of who we are or what we've experienced. We sometimes need to stop and say, wait, is the conclusion I'm reaching simply based on my own filters? 
Or is this an accurate assessment of the situation? We must have filter awareness. So if we know what the filter is, we realize, hey, I got some issues, then the point two, the letter O, is overcome selfish preferences or expectations. We've got to overcome those. We can't just be victim to those things that we've been growing up with or that we happen to be. So we overcome those selfish preferences. Luke 6.31 says, do unto others before they can do unto you. Um, that's a great, that's not what it says. Okay, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Treat them like you want to be treated. Do you want to be listened to? Do you want to be understood? Do you want to be cared for? Do you want to feel loved? So do they. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Others, others, others. Think of others. and what, what, How can you be a benefit or a blessing to them? What has God given you that he wants to give to them? So I would say there's three commitments you and I can make to each other. Three commitments we're talking about really being for each other. The first one is I will fill the gap with trust. I will fill the gap between my expectations and what I experience. When there's a gap, I'm going to say, you know what? I trust you. I trust you. When something you say or do doesn't seem to compute in your brain, I will give you the benefit of the doubt. An illustration. So my wife and I, we were first dating. I went over to her apartment one Sunday afternoon. I wanted to watch football. I like watching football. So I went over and thankfully she said, yeah, let's watch football. I was like, okay, this is good. And so we sat and watched football for a few minutes. She had two roommates, or I think maybe a roommate and a friend that were there, and they were working on a puzzle in the kitchen. I was like, that's fine, whatever, we're going to watch football. Well, she got up a few minutes into the game, and she went and started working on the puzzle. And I'm like, hello, I came to watch football with you, and now I'm watching football. I could have done this at home. And I made sure that she knew that. That was so classy. I said, you know, I could just watch this at home, <laughs> alone, <clears throat> but I came here to watch it with you. No response. She's in the kitchen working on this puzzle. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This is crazy. So eventually they finish the puzzle. The roommate and the friend leave, and she comes and sits on the couch. We watch football. Well, I said, Carrie, can I, can I, I was kind of frustrated there because I wanted to watch the football game with you, and you went and worked on the puzzle. And she looked, and she, because I, I filled that gap with suspicion. It's like, oh, you selfish person, what are you doing? And she turns, she goes, well, Kent, I tried to help them with the puzzle because I knew they weren't leaving until they were done with the puzzle. Hey, <laughs> that's pretty smart. You see, it's easy to fill that gap with suspicion and not trust. Now I learned that when she does something that I don't either know or understand, I know she's got a reason for it, and it's best if I figure to wait and figure out what that is. Fill it with trust. Make that commitment. Second commitment, when I observe something filling that gap with suspicion, I will come to your defense. Wow. So somebody comes to you and says, well, I don't like this person, whatever. They did this, said that, went there, whatever. I'm not going to listen to him. The guy fell when he tried to get up on the stage. You know, I'm, I'm going to just fill that with suspicion. When somebody says that to you, we should respond with, really? Wow, that's not my experience with them. Or I'm sure they had a reason for what they did or said. I hope you get clarification on that sometime soon because it doesn't sound like them. You see, too often we listen, we go, oh, yeah, let me tell you. So I, I agree. That guy's just a jerk. I can't believe he's, you should have heard what he said to me. You should have heard what his sister said, what his mom said. 
I can't believe it. At the last church, this happened. And so we, we kind of join in, don't we? Typically, it's so easy to do. But when we make the commitment to being for each other, we don't join in on negative conversation. We stop and we say, you know what? I think there's something, something going on. Let's figure out what that is. When I was the first youth pastor at Grace Church of Richfield, first church I was ever youth pastor at, we had a senior pastor named Pastor Jim. Pastor Jim was an awesome guy, highly disciplined guy. He had us keep track of every 15 minutes of our day. We had to write it in our little calendar book. And so every 15 minutes you had to write down, phone call from so-and-so and write it down. And talked with so-and-so, met with so-and-so. You had to put their names of the people you met with. And then at the end of the week you make a summary report of here's how many hours I spent in administrative things, here's how many hours I did in contacting, and here's who I contacted, here are the parents who called. Here's, and so you list this whole really big report. And at first I was like, good grief, this is a pain. Because it's, oh, man, I feel like I'm spending more time writing out the report than I am ministering to people. But I filled it all out. And uh, one day, he came to my office, and he had a parent of one of the kids there. And uh, I looked up. I was like, well, this is kind of curious. And he goes, hey, Kent, I had this guy just stop in my office. And the, the parent was kind of like, hi. Like, you could tell he didn't want to be there. And he goes, well, he had, a, he had an issue. He said, you're not really meeting with very many kids, and you're not doing your job very well. I was like, oh, well, that's not good to hear. So Pastor Jim said, could you hand me your calendar? I said, sure. So I had my calendar with all of our weekly summaries in the back of this calendar. And he goes, so let's just take a look. Maybe you're not doing your job, Kent. Let me find out. Well, he, he met with me every week. We go over those reports. So he pulls it up and he goes, well, this first week, huh, Kent, you met with 14 kids. You had four uh, parents that came in for some counseling stuff. You spent such and such hours in administration and, oh, 62 hours this week. Yeah, that's a pretty good week. Uh, let's see, turn to the next one. Let's see, you met with X number of kids and adults, and you turn to prep. Oh, you, you preached that week, so you had some extra hours of prep there. Uh, so 58 hours, ooh, getting kind of sloppy. <laughs> and uh, then you turn, and, and his parent is just like, uh, uh. So he got down to the third, I think he went through about six weeks. And this parent goes, I'm really, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, have a good day. And he turned and he left. Pastor Jim leans back in. That's why we keep track. <laughs> and he smiled. He gave me the thumbs up. I said, thank you, Jim. Now, Jim had two kids in the youth group. He could have easily joined this parent and said, yeah, you know, I'll tell you a story. Last Sunday night, the kids had this game after church. A bunch of kids got in trouble. Kent did not supervise that game adequately, which is a true statement. He could have. He could have joined in and said, oh, and I've got this one week he showed up. He didn't have his report done. And boy, oh boy, I was so sick of that. I kicked him out of the meeting, which was also true. <laughs> but he stopped. He goes, you know what? No, no, no. Let's go talk to him. I'm not going to join that. I'm going I'm to come to your defense, Kent. And I want you to know, anytime a parent comes to me, I will come to your defense. Now, there are times, perhaps, that people could come to him and say, oh, there's a legitimate concern. And Pastor Jim would then move on to number three. Number three is when my experience or what I see erodes my trust, I will come directly to you about it. And so if Jim ever had a concern, which he did one time, he called me into the office and he goes, Kent, here's the deal. I've heard from this couple of parents, this went on at one of the events. I said, yes, it did. He goes, okay, what are we going to do so it doesn't happen again? So we went over a plan that it wouldn't happen. And I appreciated that so much because I knew that if there was an issue, he would come to me. Sometimes there's a legitimate concern to be addressed, and we must address it. But we address that person. We don't talk about it somewhere else. That's not being for each other. 
And so when we realize the filters we have and try to determine the truth of a situation, we overcome our personal preferences and understanding, then we are respond biblically. We respond biblically. And how do we do that? Three things. We've talked about them already. Number one is to do to others what you would want them to do to you. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. Number two, put others first. Consider others. Stop, slow down enough to think, what is it that, how, how can I be a blessing to that person? And then number three, Romans 12, 10 says, be devoted to one another above yourselves. Above yourselves. Don't just push your own personal agendas or your personal understanding or run it through your filter of who you are and your personal experience and reach a wrong conclusion. Consider how to be a blessing to somebody else. Being for each other will fuel a culture of trust that can result in a vibrant, attractive community that represents Jesus accurately. And that's where we want to be. That's where I want to be, to honoring the Lord. So let's not get distracted by the stuff going around, our emotions, our own filters, and have 4,090 plus 10 equal 5,000 or even 6,000. Let's make sure it equals 4,100 and represent the Lord accurately. Let's stay focused on living out the abundant life-giving message of the Bible and before each other. It really all comes down to this. We should love one another. Wow, that's brilliant. Who said that before? When we think about it, here's our three points of application. Cave, table, and road. And if you're new to us or you don't remember what they stand for, cave is our intentional time spent with the Lord. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, God, show me areas that I need to address. We can all come up with areas everybody else needs to address, right? Those are easy because they're so blatant, we think, when the reality is perhaps maybe It's the areas I need to address that are more important. In our table time, gather with your affinity group, maybe your family, maybe your coworkers, maybe life group or whatever, and commit to filling that gap with trust. So you know what? I'm going to fill it with trust, and if it ever gets compromised to the the point where I can't fill it with trust, I'll come and talk to you about it. I'm not going to talk to somebody else. I'm going to talk to you. And then the final one is on the road. As we interact with different people, Give everyone the benefit of the doubt and interact positively with them. I have not mastered any of those, but I continue to work and I'd love to work along with you on those pieces as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Forgive us, forgive me for the times that I just reach a conclusion and it's just based upon my personal filters. It may be a filter of who I am or something I've experienced or maybe something I've been taught, I don't know. But Lord, I pray that you free me from those and that you give me the blessing of being for everybody that I come in contact with. And may that permeate our church, may it permeate our community. May we honor you and represent you better every day. And may we truly be for each other for the sake of the gospel. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we close in worship.